our reading from the Gospel. We continue on with John chapter 6 and Jesus talking about himself as the bread of life. I think we've got one more week after this of another a terrible pun to say, another bite at it, but um, we're going to have a go. So let's hear this part of John chapter 6. It repeats the verse that ended last week's reading to give it context. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever trusts in me will never be thirsty. Then the Jews began to complain about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, it's not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not complain amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me, and I will raise that person up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, whoever trusts has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Why does Jesus choose this metaphor? Why this set of words to say something about who he is and what his purpose is in the world? Surely one of the reasons is that bread is sustenance. It's uh, Scholars estimate that the majority of the poor in Jesus' world, which was the majority of the people. Remember in the feeding of the 5,000, they ate loaves of barley, which is the food of the poor. The rich were able to eat the more nutritious wheat bread, but the poor always ate barley. And they reckon that, they, that people got about 80% of their nutritional sustenance from bread. It really was the staff of life. It was everything. Without bread, no one lives. So clearly, Jesus is, is wanting to claim something universal, something that is about the need for all people all at all times everywhere. But he begins it by saying, I am the bread of life. And, and I am is the language that every Jew would have understood that God is said to have said to Moses in the book of Exodus. When Moses 
is given a task to go and free the people of Israel, the, one of the great founding stories of the whole nation. And he fairly clearly and understandably wants to know in whose name is he going. There are gods everywhere. And whilst the Jews by the time of Jesus are mostly um, monotheists, that is, they believe there is only one God, all the way through the Hebrew Scriptures, we can see the story of how that is developing. There are a number of places in the beginning of Genesis where God talks about uh, uh, God's self as if there are a number of gods who are conferring. There are a number of places where that's continued and where God uh, has different names and it's possible that they were different gods as the Jews came to this understanding of monotheism. So Moses might well have been in that process of saying, well, which God are you? What is your name? And we know that God says, as far as we can tell, and, and the uh, way of translating this is not easy, apparently, for us to understand out of the Hebrew, Hebrew, but apparently God says, I am who I am, which is very enigmatic and very... Is that God saying, if you give me a name, which is how the Jews began to understand, if you give me a name, you will think you understand me, so don't give me a name, which is the way Jews then continued on in their thinking. Or is it that there is no way of naming something that is universal and everywhere? There's lots of different ways of understanding it. But it can't be an accident that Jesus uses exactly the same words when he talks about bread of life. So when he says, I am the bread of life, it is something extraordinary. It is something not unlike this image of the Salvatore Mundi from Leonardo da Vinci, the saviour of the world. So we could think about this phrase in different ways. We could say, the one who is, is the sustainer of life. We could say, the one who always has existed is the absolute substance of life. We could say, um, these are just some of the ways I'm trying to think about it, the creative energy that animates the universe is the energy that animates you. The original and ongoing life force is in and through all matter. Another way, these aren't anywhere near as poetic as I am the bread of life, but there are other ways that I'm trying to find into this understanding what's going on in the mind of Jesus what's going on in the mind of John the writer of John's gospel in trying to help us understand what this all means in the book of Ephesians which was which is part of uh, the lectionary for this week you know we always have a gospel uh, an, an Old Testament reading a psalm reading and an epistle reading epistles being the letters um, and this week it's from Ephesians. One God and Father of all, who is above all, through all and in all. That's from Ephesians 4. It's, I reckon it's another way of saying, I am the bread of life. Whatever's going on here, this is universal. And that's underlined because Jesus says, no one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. It turns out the word drawn there is not well translated. The word actually is the word used when you drag a boat off the beach and into the water. 
in order to go fishing. It's a word of um, huge energy and, uh, and commitment to sort of get the ropes and drag this boat in. It's only ever used in the New Testament in this way. And you wonder why the translators didn't just go with that. But of course, it's, it feels like a very um, violent kind of thing. Why did Jesus choose that word? Or why did John's Gospel choose that word for Jesus to say? That no one comes to the Father unless dragged. Unless dragged by the Father. You see, I think the Gospel of John is not about telling us how to be good religious people. It's not about telling us what we should or shouldn't do. It's a much bigger story than that. It's actually announcing what is already happening in the world. It's announcing what is already going on in the life of the universe that we could recognise or not recognise. This is a really bad illustration, but it's the only one I could come up with in my thinking. And it's the difference between us all tell, being told that we must keep the law of the land with regard to speeding. 60 kilometres an hour along this road here, 50 down there, 100 somewhere else. We just have to keep doing that. We have to keep an eye on it. It's a difference between that and the time when all cars, and people have talked about this as a possibility, all cars will be regulated so that they will always be at the speed limit. The car will recognise where it is because of GPS and all those other things and will just won't go at any other speed. It's the difference between those two. There's one that you must do it and you've got to keep an eye on it and you've got to pay attention and, and, and everyone has to follow the laws and, and a world where there don't need to be laws because this is just the natural way of things. So I say, it's a, it's a clunky metaphor, but it's trying to get at something that I think John's Gospel is inviting us into, a different way of understanding the world. The truth, according to John's Gospel, is something, and, and John's Gospel is very keen on truth. It uses that word over and over again, much more than the other Gospels. In fact, there's a bit at the end of Jesus' conversation with his disciples, the last thing he says to them before his, his arrest. He says, look, the Spirit of God, the essence of God is going to come to you and reveal all truth. You will begin to understand true truth. And, and truth is things as they really are. You begin to see the world as God sees it. And the truth is, according to Jesus, that the world is soaked in God. The world is just enveloped in, filled with God. God is not, in John's Gospel, a person, a kind of distinct person in the way that we see each other. I'm distinct from you, we have similarities, and I can influence you and you can influence me, but we're distinct people in John's Gospel, there's no sense of God in that way. God is far more the essence and the meaning and the being of everything. In the beginning, John's Gospel says, using the words from Genesis, in the beginning was the word and the, or, or the word or the logos or the essence or the thought. There's lots of different ways that we could pick it at, at trying to understand what logos means. In the beginning was the everything. That's the, uh, a translation by um, Richard Raw, the Franciscan. In the beginning was the everything. God, therefore, is not a moral arbiter or a, a puppeteer, 
manipulating the world out of spite or for a sort of sense of amusement, which is what you get from some of the Greek myths, a sense where we just have to hope for the best, that we won't be too messed up by the gods. Or that God is a taskmaster, that you must follow the rules, and if you don't, you'll die. You will die anyway, but when you die, you won't go to heaven, you'll go to hell because there's a list and you didn't make enough um, good marks on the list and you had too many bad marks. None of that seems to be in clear in John's Gospel at all. It's a very limited view of God. It's, an, an, it's a very limited understanding of the world. It's the kind of world we're living in at the moment with, with COVID, isn't it? We, we recognise that there's some things that we can and can't do. Um, uh, we we recognise that we've all got to get vaccinated, but we're still not living in the big world, the way that God talks about it. Because we know that we're not all going to be safe until we're all safe. It's no good at vaccinating all the wealthy people of the world and not vaccinating at the same time all the poor because it turns out it's the poor that make all the stuff that we use. And it turns out that that stuff has got to come here somehow. Now, we're all interconnected, so we know that it's no point us hoarding when we finally get enough vaccine when our neighbours in the Pacific need it because there is, no, um, there is no way of it being all of us unless it's all of us. I think that kind of reaches to the sort of world that John is talking about <clears throat> when he's writing this gospel. Because Jesus says in, a little bit later in John, in chapter 12, when I am lifted up, and you get the sense because it's written so much later that they're reflecting on Jesus' crucifixion, I will draw, Jesus says, I will draw all people unto me. It's the same word. I will drag all people unto me. I will make something happen in the world that changes the very physical dynamics of the world. It's a much bigger project than you and I being good or moral. It's about living in the reality of the world as Jesus sees it. It's about the energy of God dragging, drawing us all in. The, the image that came to my mind about this many years ago, and I, and I have always had it in my head, it was the idea of an amphitheatre. You know how a, a, a Roman amphitheatre is a beautiful curved thing with tears down. It's this beautiful amphitheatre, and instead of steps to sit on, there's this, all these escalators, and they're all coming down. They're all drawing us down. And you know, when you're a kid, you can get on an escalator that's coming down and work really hard to go up. And you can for a while, but the only way you can keep doing that is to keep putting a lot of energy in. If you stop for a moment and relax, you're drawn back to the bottom. That's the image that's in my mind all the time, that I am being drawn constantly in to the love and the unity of God in the universe. I'm being called into it. Now, I can act like an idiot and work against that and have spent a lot of my energy doing exactly that. But it does take a lot of energy. I have to keep actively working against it. And I have to keep actively kind of resisting and putting my effort in. And sometimes if, um, if I can pull away 
not for very long because you've got to do a lot of energy just to keep still on an escalator, even more to go up on a down escalator. But I think what's happening is when I relax, when I recognise the truth of what's going on, I'm drawn into this. I think that's what John is saying here, is that everyone comes to God by being drawn. And regardless of how often we resist it, how long we manage to resist it, all that's not really that interesting. What's interesting is what we're being called into and drawn into the whole time. It's a very, um, it's a very grace-filled experience. Because Jesus says it's written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. There are a number of places in, uh, in Jeremiah that he could be referring to where, uh, where the prophet says God is going to take out our hearts of stone and put in hearts of flesh and everyone will know that they're loved by God. That's what, the, what Jeremiah says and, and this may be what Jesus is referring to. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. It just, that's the natural way of the world. This is the normal and natural order of things. If we live in the ultimate goodness and love of universal energy, then we are being taught by God. If we just, most of the time, shut up a bit more, quieten ourselves a bit more, let ourselves listen we find that it's, this is happening to us all the time. Let me finish by reading this bit. This is the reading from Ephesians that we're given as part of the lectionary for this week. And it kind of, I think it spells out what the world is like when we accept this truth, when we live in this truth. What all this adds up to then, Ephesians says, and Ephesians, we don't know who was written by. It was clearly not written by Paul, but it was likely to be written by someone who was a part of his circle and had been learning from Paul. That's what people feel. And it was probably written um, 30 or 40 years before John's Gospel. So there's a, all of this story is going on in the communities of faith around the place. What this adds up to then is this. No more lies. No more pretense. Tell your neighbour the truth. In Christ's body, we are all connected to each other. After all, we are all connected to each other. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Look, go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give evil that kind of foothold in your life. Did you used to make ends meet by stealing? Well, don't do it anymore. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. It made me think of, um, not too unkindly, Jerry Harvey um, and uh, Harvey Norman and their willingness to keep millions and millions of dollars of COVID job subsidy. Or Jeff Bezos flying to the moon and back, well not quite, but flying into space while treating his workers like slaves. So it's not just, it's all of us. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word is a gift. Make a clean break 
with all the cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. Don't grieve God. Don't break God's heart. God's spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life. Don't take such a gift for granted. Amen.